All right, tomorrow, Wednesday, March 29th, I am in West Palm Beach Improv. There are tickets still left for the Late Show. Go get them at chrisdcomedy.com. Miami, March 31st, sold out. April 1st in Tampa, sold out. Thank you guys so much. April 12th, Austin, Texas, sold out. April 13th, San Antonio, we have a few show, uh, tickets left. May 5th, the second show in Buffalo has a few ticks left. May 6th in Ithaca, a few ticks left. May 7th, Albany is sold out. Australia is on sale now. We got Sydney's on sale in June. We are adding Melbourne. We are adding Brisbane. All those tickets at chrisdcomedy.com. New York City, Radio City Music Hall, September 22nd, all sold out. So we added September 23rd, the theater at Madison Square Garden. Got a few tickets left for that. September 23rd, New York City, chrisdcomedy.com. Get some merch up at chrisdcomedy.com. If you're in the Boston shows and all the, the merch sold out, guess what, baby? Those shirts are available online. They're really cool uh, Chrissy Chaos shirts with the Boston Celtics logo. Um, and we got new merch coming. My Vice show every Tuesday, 10 p.m., Super Maximum Retro Show. Watch the show. I'm going to start to, I think, live tweet it or Instagram it um, because the ratings are not doing well. So ChrisDComedy.com for everything. Watch my show on Vice, Super Maximum Retro Show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Chrissy Chaos. Today, today we got a good one, baby. Today, now we're doing something. Finally, we're back to doing something that I want to do. I'm not being persuaded by goddamn homeless pimp and Venetia with their freaky deaky ideas. Okay. I said, we're doing this my way. I read a book. I'm interested about a topic and I'm going to reach out to the author and I'm going to get him on this damn podcast. And that's exactly what happened. Now, you know, we love history. Shout out Chris Therese, Chris Therese Stefano. A lot of people, who the fuck is that? A lot of people, is that, okay. A lot, Venetia is on the phone. I pay Venetia so she can work her other job. Um, uh, so so I, I, a lot of people think, you know, how much I love colonial history, the American Revolutionary War. You know me, I like to dress up in the tights and all that and put the shoes on and dress up like a founding father and just say that I'm dressed up as a founding father, not a woman. And so I, I love that history. But a lot of people don't realize that really the first people here, especially in New York where we're living, Nueva York, wasn't the British, but it was the Dutch, the freaky deaky Dutch. And the literal master the i think the the leading figure in in dutch american history colonial dutch history in new york is none other none other than my guest today russell shorto who wrote a fantastic book called the island in the center of the world and russell's going to take us now back to the 1600s that's where we're going russell's going to take us in a time machine back to the 1600s and we're going to burn venetia at the stake <laughs> Hello, Russell. <laughs> Let me begin by politely correcting you because you said the first people here were the Dutch. Obviously, there were people already here. Right. The first the white Native, people. <laughs> the Native American yes, people yeah. were here. And that's a really interesting story, which yes. I continue to learn a lot about because it's so complicated. The the Lenape, also called the Muncie, are, are complicated because there were you know, they identified at, at the village level. So that means it's really hard to piece together their story because, right. of course, they didn't, they didn't have they, a system of writing, so we don't have written records. Uh, and they were, you know, if you just think about names in the New York area, um, uh, Lenape, um, Massapequa, that, yeah. ta that things like Tappan Zee, the Tappan. You yeah. know? Um, so all of these different peoples were here, of course. And, right. You know, then, then the Europeans began coming. Yeah, I... I was fascinated when in reading this book, because it really is like, even if you've never been to New York before, something that you said where kind of the idea of New York, um, you know, the Dutch New York kind of is really America. Like this kind of idea of like a melting pot. And this was happening in the 1600s, as you said. This is what, you know, when I, I, I was living in New York. Right. And I've learned about myself as a writer that I tend to, try to go to the origins. Like, where did this thing start? And, you know, I'm walking up and down the streets of Manhattan. Right. And at the time I was living 
in the East Village. Mm-hmm. And uh, were you doing heroin? Uh, not n- never. I have never done heroin in my life. Neither have I. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I saw a few needles. Uh, sure. Um, and uh, at the time, my daughter was a toddler. She now got married not long ago, so this was a while ago. Do you like the husband? Oh, he's a great guy. Good guy. Uh, right, he's good. a great guy. Is he Dutch? No, he's not. Damn. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I'm not either. I, I have no Dutch uh, in me. Oh, we're going to get uh, to that. Yeah, I, yeah. I like a guy who's not Dutch but is obsessed with another culture. <laughs> it's really weird, and I well, like this it. Is, okay, so why, why was... Um, so uh, living on Second Ave- or, uh, 12th Street and 2nd Avenue... Uh, nearby where I would take my daughter to the nearest open space to run around and play is the churchyard of St. Mark's in the Bowery. Oh, okay. And it's got a lot of the tombs of kind of the early families of New York and they're like flat with the ground like this carpet. Right. They're all over and you can read them. Yeah. Except one is upright against the church and that was Peter Stuyvesant. Peter and, Stuyvesant is buried in New York City? Yeah, he's wow. buried in, uh, at the, because that was his family chapel. His uh, uh, home was nearby. He built a, his farmhouse and that was his family chapel. So there was this plaque there, and I'm reading this plaque, which I've later learned has like three or four errors on it. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm interested. Of course, I knew, a lot of people know New York was once New Amsterdam. Yep. They, they've heard of Stuyvesant. Maybe they know he had a wooden leg, you know, a few things like that. That's what I knew. Right. So I was interested. I was kind of impressed by my ignorance. Right. I, I don't know anything about this stuff. Right. I talked to a few people who are historians. And um, they said, I don't know about the Dutch period. So I'm more intrigued. Like, why does nobody know about this? Eventually, somebody tells me that I should talk to this guy named Charles Gehring. He's in Albany, Albany, New York, in the State Library. State capital. That's right. He started in uh, 1974 translating 12,000 pages of Dutch records of the colony. My, he, um, he just started doing, he, he wasn't started, in like a Russian prison camp. He just started doing this on his own? He'd, he'd, well, yeah, I mean, he found out they were there. He, right. had, he had just gotten his degree in Germanic linguistics, I think with a specialization in 17th century Dutch. Wow. And he's at a party in Albany and someone says, oh, you know, we got all these records here. And he says, what? Yeah. So he, start, he's like, no, he just sits down yeah. and for, I think the first yeah. 20 years or so, he was just raising funds to to support it. And sure. then eventually the state of New York gave him a position to do this. Uh, so when I found him, it was like opening this whole world. Right. You know, I had a, a series of conversations with him and I started to realize this isn't just some little niche thing, you know. Right. Uh, th- uh, this is, you can tell the whole story of American beginnings from Lower Manhattan, which was New Amsterdam. Right. Rather than, you know, the pilgrims and the Puritans, and that's kind of the story that we get. You can start there, and when you start there, it's a very different story. Because the pilgrim and Puritan story, it's this very religious story, and, and, and uh, uh, it, it's really a very kind of pure story. I mean, they were right. called Puritans for a reason. You yeah. know, they, did, they didn't want, uh, they came here for religious freedom, but they didn't want anybody else's yeah, religious yeah, freedom. Yeah. They only wanted theirs. The Dutch, you know, so what I learned is, there was this whole array of different people. They say 18 languages. That's what they uh, say they were speaking in New Amsterdam when there were only about 500 people. So I like to say New York was New York even before it was New York. <laughs> yeah. But I've it's since It's like learned. my house. <laughs> I have so many different cultures in my house. Yeah. It's like New Amsterdam. Yeah. We could talk about that if we you will. We will, 100%. <laughs> Let's welcome back Vanityev back to her job. Hi, Vanityev. From her other job. <laughs> okay. I'm very impressed with your work ethic so far. <laughs> Venetia looks kind of Dutch. <laughs> yeah, she could actually. You could go a number of different directions here. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you are Greek. Yeah. Well, when I'm in Israel, people on the street stop me for directions. They think I'm Israeli. It work. And when I'm in Italy, when I'm in Greece, so you know. Um, so, but I've since so 18 languages. But I've since learned that that didn't include. Native American and African languages. If Whoa. you include those, it was probably like 26 or 28 languages. Out of only 500 people, In 500 people, languages. something like that. So it was Jeez. this really, I mean, it was already New York. And no right. other place, you know, Boston existed. Boston was English, you know. Up right. and down the East Coast, uh, the English settlements were English. Uh, right. So you start to see right off the bat that this is, and, and, you know, you start to see that similarity from this little Dutch outpost to New York, but also to America. I mean, this influence extends. And the Dutch came initially from Holland to when they reached the 
island of Manhattan. They came what just just like looking for new land. Like they, they well, they were they were always been a water people. So they look when they explored the world. They are looking for ways to develop right. via water because you can't, if you want access to the interior, there's no highways. You have right. to use waterways. Sure. So they understood very quickly the, the, the New York Harbor, the Hudson River connects up around Albany to the Mohawk River, yes. which goes all the way to the Great Lakes. Right. So if you jump ahead to the 1820s, when the Erie Canal is completed, that allows the Mohawk River to be navigable yes. all the way to the. So then the dream of these settlers in the 1600s is realized. What they wanted to do ultimately was get to the interior. And what that happens in the 1820s is that becomes navigable. All the world's goods and, and people come into New York City, into New York Harbor, and then a lot of it goes up the river and west. Sure. And you get Detroit, Chicago, Duluth, Cleveland, yeah. all these cities see, around the Great See, Lake. that's the thing when, when I read this book, and I will get more into it, but it's like sometimes as New Yorkers, they'll be like, oh, you guys think your city's the best, and you know we have like this bravado because we're from New York. But really, New York or New Amsterdam was like the first thing, the first group of people, like you know how we, as America, how we have so much diversity now, New Amsterdam was the first place to have that in the American lands, right? That's my point. Yeah. yeah. That's, so diversity and the other thing is while the Dutch were, you know, inventing, they were creating this, this city here in the middle of the wilderness, yeah. they were also in Europe inventing the building blocks of capitalism, the concept of shares of stock yeah. and a stock market. And uh, it's not, it's not a, a coincidence that the, the northern street, the northern border of New Amsterdam was called Wall Street. Right. I mean, that they, you know, so you put those two things together, this multi-ethnic mix of people, and they had this official policy of tolerance at a time when right. intolerance was official policy in England, in France, in Spain, yeah. because it was considered that if you were, I mean, it's a big, dangerous world. And if you're going to get ahead as a people, you have to be on the same page. And so people had a state church. They, you know, right. they, they burned people at the stake for being witches. I mean, they yeah. did all these things to make sure they had this cohesive thing. But the Dutch were tolerant. But when you say to it's not tolerance like it was today. It's not, right. it's not celebrating diversity. It's not, you know, we think everybody's great and everybody's equal. And by the way. And they are. And by the way. That's that's your opinion. That's not yeah. their opinion. <laughs> no, I'm saying everybody's 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 equal. Is what I'm saying. Everybody's diverse. <laughs> Put that. Everybody is everybody's equally diverse. Everybody's equally beautifully diverse. <laughs> so go, yeah. So 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 it wasn't. You're saying like um you know the tolerance because uh, I, I think sometimes when I was reading the book I was like oh it's kind of almost like. Everybody was living in perfect harmony in New York that was black, white, Asian, no. but it's not. Yeah, no, because. They just weren't killing each other. Yeah, they weren't. They, it was much. tolerance in the sense of tolerating, putting right. up with, you know. But you also have to say, while this is developed, rather late in the process, they started to develop slavery. So that's not very tolerant. And uh, they had a few wars with the Native American tribes. That's not so tolerant. Not very tolerant. No. So, That's icky. Yeah. So, so you got to, you got to, you know, I mean, people, generally speaking, I mean, it depends on your opinion, but people are, 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 are pretty ugly, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I think it's all the more remarkable to look at this group of people in the 1600s who said, you know, we're going to actually put this, frame it in law that there is this thing that everyone is in some sense equal, that you're not going to get persecuted for your right. religion. You know, so that's a, it's like a baby step, but it's an important step. Yeah. And also, you know, I think sometimes too, when I think about history, when we think, you know, we don't realize, or I didn't realize like how many, how much less people there were back then. Like today we live in this big yeah. city. It's like back then, I think you said something there was like, what, five, 10,000 people in a three state radius. 10, right? So that's the, the Dutch colonies, it, Everybody knows that the Puritans and Pilgrims were in New England. The, the English were also in Virginia. There's yeah. starting farms and tobacco farms. The Dutch were basically in between. So all or parts of New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and Delaware. Right. So it was a big area, and there were about 10,000 people at the height. So really small numbers. At the it's same like one apartment building. At the same time, big cities in Europe, like Amsterdam, was maybe 200,000 people. I mean, there were, you know, a big city was you know, like a modest town now. Right. So you have to 
you know, the whole, I don't know what the population of the world was off the top of my head at that time, but it was a lot smaller. Yeah, know? I know. Like when I, sometimes like I'll look back at like war, like, you know, like I said, revolutionary war, and like you'll say like, oh, the bloodiest battle, the revolutionary war, like 300 people died. Like it's still horrible, but it's still like not that many people. Like, yeah. you know, what Braveheart, when they're doing that, William Wallace, it's like, there was like, like a hundred guys died. That, yeah. that is just because no, nobody was really fighting. All these things are like, um seeds you know the past i mean you look at it as all these different seeds of of ideas uh and and all of these things that's why you revere people you know isaac newton or whatever because they did something it was society was much smaller populations were much smaller but they started things that developed and grew into all these crazy you well, know the stock market right it was in the stock market Dutch, i learned yeah. that through you that's another one yeah that, yeah that this concept and they developed all these you know they 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 established a stock market and right away all these things which i don't even understand like futures trading and 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 short selling you know all these I devices all these gimmicks that they use now they developed in the 1600s you know so the dutch it got, developed it, bitcoin it got it basically yeah. <laughs> yeah you know let me think if there's, let me think if there's an example of a crypto like what would be the equivalent of crypto maybe wampum you know yeah what's wampum <laughs> wampum is uh shells uh that were uh from out on long island uh, and they would, uh, this purplish shell, and they would polish the inside of it and then string it into beads. And the, the Indians did this. It was very, um, they're valuable to them, but they were valuable as in, in the ceremonial way. So when right. you were entering in a deal, a way to like say, okay, we're gonna, this is for real is I'm going to give you so many, they called them hands of wampum because they would be strung together into yeah. like, you know, um, and uh, but the Dutch took that and made a currency out of it. Okay, and and that that way they could you know the 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 Haudenosaunee the people the Iroquois up in no upstate New York. Right, they had their system. All the Native American tribes around New York City had their system. They spoke different languages. They didn't communicate with each right. other necessarily. This then became a means of communication between them, right? And even, so it was like the dollar became. But but and even that, like, there's that. Uh, it's a myth, right? That we that the Dutch bought Manhattan for twenty four. Oh, we're gonna get into this, right? It's, How it's, much time do we have? We got time, baby. That's, yeah. <laughs> All right, no, quickly. Uh, every time, from the beginning, uh, everywhere the Dutch went, they would enter into some sort of contract for land. But they knew perfectly well. They were very good at understanding the local people's ways. They learned the languages. Uh, so they knew that the Indians did not have, you know, a concept of real estate. They didn't think in terms of, you know, I'm going to buy that land. Here's the piece of paper and now right. it's mine. Um, so they knew that that's from the other perspective, they were entering into kind of a defensive alliance. They were saying so infamously the island of manhattan the local tribe probably the wakaskek which was a branch of the lenape um we're going to quote buy this island but what it means is you're going to continue to live here but you'll allow us to live here and here's some token stuff here's some things that you value some knives and some kettles and things uh and if you get attacked we'll help you and if we're attacked you'll help us so that was the deal okay. and they knew that but they themselves having this system of property transfer, they wrote up a deed for it. That's what they did. And now, unfortunately, the deed for Manhattan Island is lost. But we have the deed for Staten Island. You, you live on Staten Island? Staten Island, yeah. baby, yeah. So the, the deed for Staten Island exists. And for all up and down the Hudson River, there are deeds. Um, but in each of those cases, you know, it was, it was a complicated thing where they would say, okay, no, I understand. I get it. You're going to continue to be here and we'll use it too. But then what, what happened, what complicated things over time is, you know, years later, the local tribe would come back on their hunting rounds. You're looking around. Am I boring you? No. Okay. No, no, no. I thought, I thought, I thought, Ven no, this is fascinating And to me. so, so that, you know, they'd say, okay, we're ending into this deal and, and we get to live here and you get to live yeah. here, but really you only come seasonally. Okay. Well, the next year they come back seasonally to hunt and the chief comes and he brings his whole entourage and he expects to move into the guy's house and drink his brandy. And, you know, and after a few years, the Dutch guys, are, you know, they're getting sick of this. So they understood it, but at the same time, it wasn't their way. And it, over time it, it sort of degraded. Um, but so the infamous $24 for Manhattan, it was a token. It was 60 guilders worth of goods, which in the 19th century, some translator translated into $24 in the 19th century. Um, it, so it, 
it was that much goods that was meant to seal the deal. It wasn't, right. this is what we think this real estate is worth. So it's a little bit, you know, misleading. On the other hand, looked at from our, you know, when I do history, I think you have to look at it from the perspective of the people there at that moment. Yeah. You, could, you also have to look at it from our perspective. From our perspective, obviously, it was a total swindle. Buying Manhattan yeah. Island for $24, there's no way around right. that. You know, right. they, um, they got rooked. Right. But... From their perspective, you know, we'll give you this. Okay, you'll give us this. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll dance together and there's a fire and, and, and we'll just continue to live together in some way. Because the, you have to remember, too, they came here in order to trade with the Indians for furs, especially beaver pelts. They, the, the Europeans didn't go and trap them. Right. They traded with them. So they needed, they were business partners. Right. So the idea that we're, we're buying this and we're taking it from you and you just get lost, that happened over generations. Yeah, they need, so yeah, like you said, like they were trading partners. That's the same with US and China. We're trading partners. We're not gonna, we need their beavers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, let, we'll let that pause. Yes. Develop it. Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, because, because, you know, I, I think too, uh, you know, like looking back at, at that time, like you, like you said, that's that's why I love about history is you know a lot of people today like you'll just judge someone in history, but you're you're kind of basing them off modern day. I, I think it's fair to do that, but I don't think it's fair to only do that. Right. I think you have to look at if you care, you know, if you want to really understand. And you, you, this we could talk about the founding fathers and owning slaves, and you know, you look at the the world they're they're in. Right. And, 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 and you sink yourself into it. Then you have to look at it from our perspective. Right. And you have to say, well, that's crazy. You yeah. Can't, well, you can't, well you... even, even going to that, because this book actually changed my mind a little bit on that, because I was like, okay, here we have in the, you know, 1600s, you have a place like New Amsterdam, you know, New York, where there are no slaves. Like the people are just living right. Slavery was not, you could not have slaves in, um, in, uh, in New Amsterdam in the 1600s, right? That was not a thing. Yeah, it was. Oh, you was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I thought in New Amsterdam, you would have, you had at least free, didn't you have free African it, people? It's a complicated situation. And again, looking at history, you know, we all tend to, you know, because life is complicated, there's a lot going on. We, it's what weed simpli- is for. We simplify everything. Well, then you don't, you just forget about it. But, yeah. um, but they were you, smoking weed back then, by the way, the Dutch? I don't Possibly? You know, I don't, that's a good, no one's ever asked me that. Well, we got <laughs> to find out. About we know that. they yeah. were doing fentanyl, yeah. but we weren't well, sure about weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I forgot the question. Oh, um, uh, were there, we, we, there were free, oh, yeah, slavery. free sl- Okay, slaves. so, it, you know, so what I started to say is um, we, we create simplistic packages because we, there's a lot that we have to keep in our heads. So slavery, when you think of that, you think of sort of plantations in the American South and that kind of thing. That didn't exist. What existed was the beginnings of slavery. The first enslaved Africans uh, wound up in New Amsterdam uh, because the Dutch were fighting a war against Spain and the Spain were bringing slaves to the Caribbean. And so the Dutch would capture a ship and they'd bring it to Manhattan. Got it. And so, so these people are wandering around. They become enslaved. What that means, it was not, you know, they were not uh, race. It wasn't race-based for one thing. You know, you think of slavery in ancient Rome. That wasn't race-based. And no. you could win your freedom and you could become Roman. Right. You know, so it was an interesting, there was an upward mobility involved there. Somewhat similarly in New Amsterdam, you had enslaved Africans and they had this system whereby after a time, you could petition in court as a slave. You say, I think I've done my time. I think, uh, right. and th- that would happen and they would get freedom and they would be given land. They would be giving like eight or 10 acres in what's now Greenwich Village, which is an, int- you know, you think that, I mean, that's, if, you yeah. look, if you look at it in present day terms, that's, yeah. that's, that's kind of interesting. Um, but it did start to become what we think of it by the end of this time. So you can see it hardening in people's minds. In the early period, they're kind of, you know, there isn't a system. There's not slave codes. You're not obvious, obviously a different order of humanity. That's, that's maybe the thing. Insla- if, you were, you, if you were enslaved, if you were African, you were a human being. Whereas later, it's like you were lo- less than a human being. Got it. Okay, so, so that's, that's the distinction. And then, and then we have, you know, uh, uh, New Amsterdam happening. And then Peter Stuyvesant comes in 
who we've, you know, learned about in school, um, Peter Stuyvesant, or, uh, the first governor of New York, or the last governor of New York. Of, right? New, of New Netherlands. Of, yeah. of New Netherlands. Um, Peg like Pete. Um, a lot of stuff in New York. Is I think named. you learned about that in school if you you went to school in New York. Well, I don't know if thing. you learned we went, we went to school, I, going to school in New York, Venet, all three of us did, but we didn't really learn, like... Most people, like, and you even said it yourself, like, don't know anything about the Dutch period yeah. of New Amsterdam. But why, why is that? Just because the British wrote the, because the history? It, that's it. Yeah, yeah, because the first printing presses were in New England. Right. And the, those, that's where the books were. And the, the books, the first books they wrote were written about the first New Englanders who came right. to America. And that beca became yeah. the basis for our story of how American history got going. And, you know, so the English then take over, you know, newsflash in 1664. And um, this place where we are still was very much Dutch. And that's, to me, a really interesting point that the English saw, they didn't understand, you know, we were talking about uh, the, the uh, capitalism. I mean, the, the word itself wasn't invented yet, right. but they had this economic system and they had this diversity thing going on the english didn't get that because it was so unusual but they saw that it worked you know there were ships coming in and out they right. were trading all over the place so they wanted to keep it so the first mayors of new york city under the english were dutch you know they kept the everything in place so that it would continue to be you know and slowly over generations then the english language takes over and more english uh uh you know, traditions and things take hold. Right, because because Peter Stuyvesant, when when we learn about him, we learn that he was just like a mean guy, right? That had this peg leg. But the, but I remember learning in school that he was tolerant of they, you know, they were tolerant of of everybody. But do you think Peter Stuyvesant was as mean as they say? Uh, no, but um, I you know that that's kind of a question about if you have. You know, think about yourself. If there were like 10 records, 10 letters or something that exist after you're gone, that's what people have to know you about. Right. So that's kind of, yeah. that's the case with anybody of the past, you know, before, you know, everything yeah. was just like filmed all the time. Yeah. Um, so you, you have to try to expand. How can we expand this? How can we flesh out that person? Of course, all these people were living complex people the way we are. And all, and you know, by the same token, you know, when we're talking about like Native Americans and Europeans, there's this tendency in today to idealize Native Americans and to say they were these noble people, and the Europeans came in and they were. They were all. I, I tend to think they were all basically the same. They're the way we are. There were definitely are. some Native Americans who were pieces of shit, <laughs> for sure. He said it. He said there it. were definitely. <laughs> listen, there were all. Everybody at some point is just a piece of garbage. It doesn't Can matter I quote what you race, on religion this in the you future, are. Yeah, you yeah. fucking piece of shit. <laughs> so Peter yeah. He didn't seem like he was very inclusive of like Jewish people yeah. and Quakers, and like he was known for making laws about adultery. Like, how it? so the Dutch had this policy of tolerance, which was you know not celebrating diversity, but it was it was something. Um, but Stuyvesant himself, I think, was he was the son of a, 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 a Calvinist minister, and he was you know seemed to be kind of a stern, hard guy, right. and he was trying to run a place. And that you know most people, as I said, in Europe, you wanted everyone to be on the same page so that you can move forward. And he's in the middle of nowhere, this wilderness, and he's got all these people speaking different languages. And he's like, geez, you know, this is um, so. He himself tried to block Jews tried to block Quakers because, it, you know, Quakers, they quaked. You know, they did sure. all these, they, they spat. They're just, they're out there, just they out there. They spoke making, in tongues. They're and, making and, oatmeal. <laughs> <laughs> That's all they're doing. What the hell else are they doing? <laughs> so, so uh, he, so he was trying, so he went against what the yeah. Dutch were, what are, were trying to do. But in those, what's interesting is they appealed over his head to the home country and they said, no, we have this policy of tolerance. You have to let them stay. But it, it is because, and then we learned too that Stuyvesant just gave, because he was outgunned and outman, just gave up kind of the New Amsterdam to the British. Yeah. But do you think back then they just didn't, they obviously didn't know what they had or else they would have fought for it? No, this is, that's a, a, you you bring us right into the book I'm working on now. The book I'm that's working on I'm, now. That's why I'm a professional. That's right, that's right. You didn't know that I was. No, <laughs> I'm Chrissy Plugs. But, but, you, but you sensed it. I sensed it. I um, felt it. It's the day quill. So the book... <laughs> 
<laughs> it's not COVID, by the way, right? No, 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 no. There's negative COVID. Okay. I have AIDS. <laughs> okay, well, that's all right. We'll yes. Keep a little distance. That's it. Yeah. Um, uh, so the, uh, the book I'm working on now is, will be called Taking Manhattan, and it's about that moment, the moment of the takeover. Nice. Um, where you have this little, so I, to me, it's almost like a play, um, where you've got the Dutch and New Amsterdam at the tip of the island, and the English come in in these warships, and they're in the harbor, uh, like kind of right off of Governor's Island at, at Gravesend, right around yeah, yeah. the corner from uh, Governor's Island. And they're sending messengers back and forth in boats, you know, saying, you know, and, and each message is like, we're about to destroy your town. But in fact, the English didn't want to destroy it because they knew this was something valuable. Right. And so they're each, you know, acting all, all the bravado and stuff. But they both sense, and I think, to your point, uh, the Dutch were feeling that the home country had abandoned them. So what they had created this really interesting thing, but the home country was making all of its money in the Far East, in Indone- what's now Indonesia, and they were you know, bringing in the spices and things. So they weren't paying attention to them. Um, the English saw something valuable here. So in this little dance that they're doing, they're saying, can we work this out? What I'm learning, you know, if you study warfare and politics throughout history, Sometimes it's black and white, we're going to attack you, we're going to destroy you, but usually it's this threats and, and, you know, and then, but in between, the diplomats are doing their thing and they're trying to find a way. And I think that's what they did. I think they realized, you know, can we fit these two things together and can we, the Dutch, who, by the way, as we're saying, we're not all Dutch, they were only about 50% Dutch, they were everything else. They were Swedes and they were Jews and they were, um, they're saying, can we keep this thing going? But, and we'll just, okay, we'll call it New York instead of New Amsterdam, but can we keep it going? Yeah. So I think that's what they worked out. Um, and meanwhile, you have this whole, you know, all these other, both sides in the home countries were starting to develop a real slave trade. So the, right. you, know, you got that. Well, were they, were, was at that time the Dutch Empire and the British Empire enemies or were they? Co- they were, th- this takeover started a war, started the second Anglo-Dutch war. Okay. Uh, they were both, because they were both, uh, expanding these these uh, trading empires, you know, all over the world, like taking pieces of property, like, you know, playing risk, basically. And um, so this then, the, the English obviously had their colonies to the north in New England, and they had Virginia to the south, and they said, all right, if we have this, then they realized right. belatedly what, I was, what we started talking about, the water. You know, this is the way to get into the interior of the continent, the, uh, this colony. Um, so the Dutch had like the vital piece in this puzzle that they, they wanted. And uh, so at, at the same time, they're both, you know, going at it um, in, in the Far East and in, uh, off the coast of Africa, you know, because they're developing right. the slave trade. Yeah, I, I, and, and, and once the Dutch, when the, the British took over um, uh, New Amsterdam and they immediately renamed it New York, right? Just switch the name. And then they allowed, though, the way of life in New Amsterdam to pretty much go unchanged. They didn't put, like, many rules in. They didn't have... It's not like soldiers came in right away and were like, you're going to do things the British way now. Yeah, that's what... That was part, you know, this is where I am right now, looking at this in greater detail, to see that they didn't want to... You know, I mean, the, Richard Nichols, the guy who took over for the English, didn't want to destroy the place because whatever they were doing... And he wanted to more or less make them happy because he wanted them to keep doing what they were doing. He right. just wanted to put it, an English stamp on it. Got it. Uh, and, that, and then, so you see that uh, over the next decades, notaries in the Netherlands continue to like stamp the documents and send people to, the, to what's now New York, and, but they're still calling it New Netherland. But they're still you know, going about doing everything that they, they did uh, in the past when it was right. officially Dutch. Well, the, because the Dutch too, they really, there are two things, uh, I think it was in the book or maybe in a, in, a, in a lecture I listened to yours, but two things that were fascinating. One, I think it, I forgot exactly who it was. They figured out a way the Dutch had to store fish longer by leaving the yeah. liver. You right? really, you really read stuff. Yes, dude. <laughs> I have pieces. That's I have good. pieces of your hair. That's good. In a bag. <laughs> yes, that. Well, that thing. I wanted to talk about that. And then also, I thought it was fascinating the idea of this idea of home is is a Dutch thing where we used to just we're living in. So we were just living in. Were you a good student? Um, I, I was I. 
I do love yeah, history. Yeah, yeah. I do. Yeah, I do yeah. love history. And I and I told you, I was fascinated by this New Amsterdam stuff and your book. So, so. Um, but I, those little details, that's what I love, too, about history. You can look at something like, you know, they, th- this guy, his name is Witold Ribashinsky. Don't ask me to spell it. And he wrote a book. That's where I learned this called yeah. Home. Right. About the idea of a home. Like, we think of a home yeah. as like, what's home? It's like, traditionally, you know. A couple and their children and they're right. they're married and they, yeah. they and they and they buy a house and this is and this is like this intimate domestic space yeah. people's bedrooms and this is where we eat yeah. eat dinner that's a relatively new concept before the dutch came along and it and it comes to being with the dutch home was like if you think of i don't know rome or something in the middle ages uh european cities you know, there might be this, if you were in the city, you might have this big urban space. And, and if you ever go go to Europe where there's um, like these huge doors where you could ride the horse into the center courtyard and right. the, the house would be this big, you know, yeah. all kinds of rooms. And you might have servants living there and extended family and renters and animals. And uh, so it was a different way to organize things. So the right. Dutch started doing these canal houses, and this has to do with something we haven't really talked about, which is they created this notion of individual empowerment in the way we think of like entrepreneurship. Right. Uh, so the, in the rest of Europe, you had the feudal system. Uh, so you had, uh, the way things were organized was you had a, a knight, a nobleman, who uh, had a, a castle, a big house, and owned lots of land, and there were people, serfs, and there were carpenters, and there were whatever, lawyers, who lived on that land and they, they were under him and he was the right. he was their boss um and that was a very stable system so if you were a serf your children were going to be a serf and their children uh the dutch didn't have that kind of system because it was a wet country it's the low country so right. they went about starting in the middle ages creating uh dams and dikes and they reclaimed land from the sea about half of the country as it is now wasn't there a thousand right. years ago when they created land, they divided it up among the people there in the community. So everyone got land. So you could start doing something with it. You could have cattle wow. and sell butter or right. s- grow flowers and sell tulips or whatever. So they became a nation of entrepreneurs. And they're then looking for deals and things, looking right. for new opportunities. And then when they start to build homes, they build homes. You, you're an, I'm an empowered man and I have a wife and I have a child. And that's who's, how, that, that, that will be our unit. So that concept that we have of home comes from this period too. Fascinating, right? Because it's like, you, you, you know, we think sometimes like our way of life and our way, it's the way it always was. But really this concept, like you said, of home, this is like a new thing in, 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 uh, in human history. Like home, the Dutch only developed the idea a few hundred years ago. Most of humans, they're not living in, in home. It's- yeah, or for that matter, like uh, I, not long ago I visited... Uh, a Haudenosaunee longhouse in upstate New York. Same. Uh, have you been? No, no, but I would love, but, yeah. but you know, if you know one thing about me, Russell, I'm going, I'm going into that longhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's really, it's it's very cool when you walk into it's a recreation, but uh, it's very cool because it's like a whole community lived here in this one big long. It's like my house now. Yeah. I have a community that's a <laughs> See, community. See, you have a different, yeah, you, have have a, old, you're old school. I have a community of the native land known as Puerto Ricans. Ah. That's who lives in my, my whole family is Puerto Rican. Ah. I have, I have. Three Puerto, I have two Puerto Rican daughters, Puerto Rican stepson, my Puerto Rican wife, Puerto Rican uncle, Puerto Rican aunties. I'm, 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 I'm the modern day Stuyvesant. I'm yeah, tolerant. Yeah, yeah. You were well. I don't know if Stuyvesant was tolerant, but yeah, yeah. you, you're yeah. recreating New Amsterdam. Yeah. I'm kicking the Quakers out. That's yeah. the only people who can't say. Uh, and this is in Staten Island. <clears throat> yeah, Staten Island. Wow. We should the, be filming there. Yeah. We sh- uh, well, we used to. We used to. We used to. We used to film there all the time until Jasmine, my girl, said we can't film there anymore. Oh, she threw okay. us out. And now yeah. we're here. How now, long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been, t- we started, um, well, how long have I been, what, taking in Puerto Ricans? <laughs> Since 2014. Um, I, uh, the original Lenape. I, um, and by the way, did you choose the purple color? Uh, that, yes, we did. Yes, we did. I like, I like, I, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, just like the Dutch. They like purples and oranges. Yeah, they, like, yeah. they like wild colors. <laughs> All right. This podcast episode sponsored by BetterHelp. We love it here. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing, okay? BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on the journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. We all use BetterHelp here. 
I love it. It's helped me so much. I've been using it since the middle of the pandemic. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Everybody's got mental health issues these days, uh, me, myself included. BetterHelp has helped me so much. All you do is fill out a brief questionnaire. They match you with the licensed therapist that's best for you. You can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. It's the best. Right now, visit betterhelp.com chaos to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com chaos. 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash chaos. Go do it. Um, yeah, so I, I started doing this in, uh, in, in 2000, this podcast, and this podcast only in 2021, but podcasting in general in 2018. Um, but I've loved history. I wanted to be a history teacher uh, at first. Um, then I went to become, I became a physical therapist and then a comedian, uh, division three basketball player. But I wanted, I loved, I was- fa- What oh, position? Uh, shooting guard. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I was shooting guard, uh, D3. My, uh, my dad used to have me shoot 1000 jump shots a day. Wow. You have to shoot every day. Yeah. I should do that with my son. You used to do that with your son? I should do that with my son. How old is he? He's 13. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys live in New York? No, we live in Maryland. Oh, good state, Maryland. Why'd you move out of New York? Uh, I, I lived from New York. I went to Amsterdam. I lived there and I wrote a book about the history of Amsterdam and then when we moved back, I wanted to, I was working on a book, which is now my latest book, which is called Small Time. And it's about my family and my grandfather. I'm from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. And um, so where I live now is close to there. Uh, and my grandfather ran the mob, the mafia branch yeah. in my hometown. Oh, did you know that? I always knew, I grew up knowing that, you know, it's like you, you grow up knowing certain things about, you know, but, but right. you also grow up with this, Leah, but we don't talk about that. So yeah. I didn't talk about it. And I was very, you know, I was an obedient son, I guess, until a few years ago, um, my mother's cousin, it was my father's father, but my mother's cousin um, was a jazz musician. And we went to a club, we were home for, I was home for Christmas and we went to see him play in this club. He plays stand-up bass and he was yeah. a singer and sing, you know, fly me to the moon and stuff. Yeah. Like that. And, um, he said in, in the break between the sets, he said, you know, you're the writer. What are you going to do about the story? And I said, what story? He said, what story? Your grandfather, the mob. And, and it was like burst the bubble. And I was like, yeah. But then at, the next thought is I write nonfiction. I know those guys didn't keep notebooks. So what am I going to do? And he said, I was living in Amsterdam at the time. And he said, come back here and we'll talk. So I made it. I said, I'll take a week, go home. And uh, Frank met me at his hangout, Panera Bread. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so I turned on the recorder and I thought, okay, he's going to talk for a while. A little old guy comes up, another one. Soon there's eight of these little old Italian guys like leaning on canes and things. Wow. Four hours later, I turned off the recorder. Wow. And I said, okay, this is something. This is a start. So then I started to, you know, go to the county courthouse and the police records office, and I started to put together this story. So it's the story of the small town mob in America, which is really interesting. I mean, people don't know about it. Uh, they know New York and Chicago and all that, but it was everywhere. So since the book came out, I've gotten letters from, you know, Dubuque and Amarillo and Fresno and Anchorage, Alaska, and they were saying, you know, it's the same here. It was exactly like that wow. here in the 50s. You know, the 50s, it went everywhere. It just went, and it became, I'm convinced that the small town mob in America was kind of like the, the interstate highway system. It just connected right. all, it, it was part of the glue of middle America in its, in its heyday. Yeah, and I kind of, I feel like I understand now that why the mob's not around anymore, but, you know, like, so even my, like, family, who's, like, you know, conservative Catholic, sometimes they're like, you know, sometimes we miss the mob. Because sometimes it's like, yeah, they, they would absolutely, you yeah. know, extort people and, and do a lot of bad things. But sometimes it was like, you know, your neighborhood, it, nobody, if you, if you had, like, a mafia block, you know, if the mob was on your block, you, everything was pretty safe. And, you know, everyone I talked to over a certain age in my hometown, the, it was my grandfather and his brother-in-law. They ran it together. Everyone I talked to, had respect for them. They yeah. thought, they, they were, that's what I mean, they were part of the system. And a, a big difference between small towns and si- big cities is the, the violence. You didn't really have, because the, the small town couldn't tolerate that. Right. So what they did is they, they ran out of uh, the business out of a place called City Cigar, which is cigar shop in front, pool hall in back, offices upstairs, and it was two doors from City Hall. Right. So the mayor would come by and he'd, he'd hang out with them and he'd leave with an envelope in his pocket. They'd pay off the cops. And in exchange, they would let them alone. Yeah, they they, and basically what they were doing was they were providing public service in the form of, 
gambling, you know, numbers and things like yeah. that all over town. And I, I correlate the small town mob with um, the, the television. As television, 1950, 5% of American households had a TV. By 1960, 90% did. Damn. And you see the small town mob go down over the same decade. Because instead of, you know, going out and hanging out and playing the numbers or shooting pool and playing, you know, the, or, or, or cards or craps, you were watching I Love Lucy. So it was, you know, it's, right. it really changed their, their income stream. It is amazing. Like, you, like... Even even like with your love of, of New Amsterdam, you know, you said you, your daughter was running around and then and you saw well, the, the graveyard of Stuyvesant. And then you say it is like a fat, you're fascinating brain because it's like most people, I would just be like, well, I'm not going to write a book about New Amsterdam. I'm just going to like, if, my, if I was, if I didn't know something about a topic, I would try to Google it or I'd be like, you know, I'm the guy who I'm always like, somebody should make a movie about that or somebody should write a book about that. But you're the guy who actually writes the book. You do this. You do this. What we're doing now. This is what this you do. This yeah. sucks compared to what you do. <laughs> you're doing all. You're, uh, how about for, for uh, like a year we swap? <laughs> oh my God. I seriously, because like that's, it is just the actual act of writing the book. Like even when I was reading it, I was like how did this guy even think of all this like what how do you even research the book is it just reading and reading and reading other work and then formulating I your think, own story i think obviously being curious and and uh that i am curious and one thing leading to another and little things like that home the home thing yeah. or or you know realizing okay i'm going to write about my grandfather well wait this is really you know it was a real thing everybody knew it what the mob was in my hometown but it's different from Right. Well, it wasn't so what's up with that you know and because there's no one there to tell you well, maybe that's what you should do but slowly you start to say well maybe that's what this is about you know and you start to and then you realize the ex so what that's really about is i think american immigration in the early 20th century and yeah. that's why i was telling you before we started uh after the book came out i got hundreds of emails from all over the country from the, uh people saying it, we weren't italian it was the same with us hungarians poles uh, Germans, whatever, because it has to do with coming to America in big numbers, being discriminated against by, sure. you know, white Americans, white Protestant Americans, because these straight you, white males, these people coming were mostly Catholic. And that right. was, a, you, you have no idea how scared Americans were of Catholics and the Why? Catholic Why Church. Why were they scared of they us? Were, the, the Pope was, because, you know, Protestants, uh, so us, so you're, you're, you're one I'm of Catholic. us. Okay, Are you yeah. Catholic? Well, I was raised Italian. Oh, that's so, right. You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't, I haven't been to church in a few decades, but, you know. Say, me either. My, my mom's <laughs> mad at me because I, did you get your, did you give your daughter the sacraments, communion no, and baptism? No. See, I didn't either. Yeah. And my mom's all mad at me. Well, yeah. mom, my favorite author is also a, a dirty <laughs> pagan. Okay. Can I, can I plug my, my course? Dude, plug whatever the hell you want. I don't want this to stop yet. Um, Are we at an hour already? Not yet. Okay. I did have a question about the Indi the Native American. Yeah, please say Native yeah. American. Yes. <laughs> no, they, they actually, that's an interesting division. They, some, uh, some groups prefer Indian. And some prefer Native American. Prefer so it's hard Indian. to be right. <laughs> Staten Island prefers Indian. Um, I was curious about the, tri the local <coughs> tribe and like who they were and that, were they called the Manhattan, like Indian? Manhattan was the island. That, and, and that was an, uh, an Indian, a Native American name, mm -hmm. which meant something like place where you would grow, Y-E-W. Because okay. they would use you for both. And did the uh. Dutch call? And so I'm just curious about the conflicts that they had in the wars. And like, did they always refer to the island as Manhattan, the Dutch? Or did that come later on? The Dutch they... took up the Indian name very quickly. Okay. So in the, the, we have this document uh, that refers to the sale of the island. And they say, we have bought, our people have bought the isle, island Manhats. Okay. For the value of 60 guilders. And so they, what was the conflicts? I mean, you said before that they were coexisting yeah. and whatnot, but like, why were they also fighting about like a thousand settlers and there, it, was, it was, it was this, you know, they, they were there to do business with them. At the same time, there would be conflicts start somebody, you know, it's kind of like, well, who started it? You know, somebody shot somebody, somebody burned down someone's house or, right. um, and, the the unfortunate fact is all the written records are on the European side, not on the Native American side. So we only have their side of the story. So when you're getting back to yeah. your question about how do you, you know, yeah. how do you flesh out a story? How do you, so I think one thing you do is you go to Native American communities and ask for their oral 
you know, because often these things have been passed down for the, excuse me. Go to, <laughs> no, just let me, just because, no, because we have a, so go to Native American communities and ask for oral. Uh, <laughs> that, that's all, that's, and then you'll find the lock linked to history. Uh, but, um, so, curious also, why did they stay on the bottom of the island? Why didn't they explore a little bit more? Oh, they did. Yeah, they were, they were all, right. they were, you know, it, nor, the Albany was called Beaverwijk, Beaver Town. There you go. Um, and uh, so they porn. were as far north as that. They were as far south as the Delaware River, which they called the South River. The, the Hudson, they called the North River. So they were all over the area, but they were really thinly spread. So, and, but there were a number of uh, wars that broke out or skirmishes, because we're talking about small numbers of people. Uh, and, you know, what caused each one, you know, yeah, that's... What would a fight what? be between the Native Americans and uh, the settlers? Like, what? Why would they be fighting if they already said, "Hi, we're coexisting, we're cool," right? Like, why well, there were. I mean, this one story, which I I tell in the book, is about um, this wheelwright who owned a tavern. Um, I want to say it was like in the East Thirties. Uh, it, it wasn't the East Thirties at the time. Um, and so, if you were traveling Manhattan Island, you would stop there. And uh, this group of uh, Native Americans stopped, and the guy was killed. Now, we don't know, the, we don't know what happened, but then, that then leads to the then director, Willem Keefe, saying, all right, we're going to have to do something about this. Right. And you know, next thing you know, there's a war. But you know, the, in that case, for example, the, the, the leaders of New Amsterdam, the other leaders, the community, was, was saying to Keefe, you can't do this because they're all around us. They're, they outnumber us. We're here to do business with them. You know, this is a disaster. But he ordered the soldiers to attack and then the Indians counterattack, which burned that leveled New Amsterdam. They had to start all over again. So, I mean, that's one instance of how something starts and it gets out of hand. Yeah. So, so like today, and today, like, you know, today's New York. What, is there any remnants of New Amsterdam left anywhere? Like any building? Yeah, anything? I... The, uh, the financial district is, a t- is New Amsterdam. I've given tours. Uh, I was just down there yesterday. Um, you gave a tour yesterday? No. Uh, well, I, I did an interview. Today is this, is, this week is UN Water Week, and I was giving an interview for a Dutch... Uh, Big week. Yeah. Um, uh, so water is important. Um, yes. So, uh, um, so the, the street pattern of the financial district, there's this uh, plan of New Amsterdam called the Costello Plan. And I've given tours where I use that. Everybody's holding the Costello plan. And we just walk, follow it. And right. it's the whole... Well, Pimp lives down in, in that area. And I know, one time I was waiting for him and I know, noticed there's like a, a... I think it's a bar where like you can see down... There, yeah, right, there's some oh, places... Structure. Uh, there's a... Uh, um, what was... So you would come in from your, your ship and they would anchor in the East River and then they'd row into the wharf. And that's how you arrived. And the first place you came to be, was the city tavern because right. you know you immediately yeah. want to get a drink, uh, and that was such a popular place that when it got a, it, a municipal charter, it became city hall. And that place, which is at the corner of Pearl Street and County Slip, has the uh, pavement. Yeah, uh, uh, it's the, the outlines, the foundations of it are marked on the pavement, and there's some places like plexiglass, and you can look down yeah, the foundations and things like that. That's yeah. because because. There is always like a small connection I felt. It's weird. You know like how like sometimes like you just think like you've had like a past life. I grew up in Ridgewood, Queens, Ridgewood, Queens, Brooklyn and on Underdunk Avenue. And at the end of Underdunk Avenue, there's a Dutch colonial house there. And I remember like being like a little kid and like first seeing that I was like five or six years old and feeling like I was like, I just feel connected to this house. Like I always thought like, did I live like a past Dutch life? <laughs> you know, well, there's another one, the uh, the Wyckoff, the Peter Wyckoff house in yeah. Canarsie. Yeah. Um, Have you been to these places? Have yeah, you been to Underdunk yeah. Avenue, yeah, that Dutch yeah, house? Yeah, yeah, I wonder about Underdunk Avenue and the, the naming of it, because I think that may come from Vanderdonk, who was uh, one yeah. of the prominent big people in uh, New Amsterdam. But uh, the Wyckoff house um, in Canarsie, so it's this very uh, immigrant, uh, largely black community around yeah, there. Yeah. And I was just there uh, filming a video with the, the director of it, and she said she was listening as some kids walked by and they referred to it as the slave house because the people, you know, the generations later of the family had slaves. So it's really interesting how different people perceive. So like, you know, 20 years ago, people thought of that house, the Wyckoff house, as 
early Dutch New York, you know. Right. And then it suddenly becomes the slave, becomes house, the slave house. Which is, you know, back to, well, bo- both of those are true. Yeah. It just depends on what your perspective is. So pretty much if somebody is listening to this and wants to like go, really the, the, the financial district is, that, that's really where the wealth of the, of the New that Amsterdam That was New is. Amsterdam. There's, that was New Amsterdam. That's it. So it was only a few blocks. It was, uh, it was I think, 16 streets or something. Wow. And like 1,500 people. But then what was the cut, like, where the, where the underdunk house was or the Wyckoff house was? What was that? Well, you had these, they had villages that were communities out in Brooklyn, Queens. Uh, you had uh, Amherst Fort and... Um, Yonkers, right? Uh, well, Yonkers to the north, um, which forms a little later. Um, um, Flissingen, which becomes Flushing. So all these, you know, there are a lot of these parts of Brooklyn and Queens, Maspeth, some of which, I mean, it was called Maspeth then, uh, retain it. Some, some and they the would travel into New Amsterdam. Flaca, that was like their city, right? Flakabos was, is Flatbush. That's okay. where that comes from. Oh. Flakabos. Yeah. That's how it's. Yeah. <laughs> Hreinweik was, uh, uh, one, a community on Long Island was called Hreinweik, which means like Pine Town. And apparently that guy moved to Lower Manhattan, and that became Greenwich Village. Wow. So, so, and were they all, like, all these different villages at that time, like, connected? Or really, like, if you were living in, in Flatbush, you were never going to New Amsterdam. No, they were, con- they were, well, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't go all the time, but they were totally connected. There was a ferry across the East River. They were always, you know, because we have all these records. I told you, said yeah. we have 12,000 pages of stuff. And it's, a lot of it is that, you know, communicating with, hey, have you paid your tax? Or, you know, right. are, you, are you sending the corn in? And all that kind of stuff. What do you think of intermittent fasting? <laughs> I've never tried. Have you? I've been doing it. Have you really? I lost 30 pounds on it. 30 pounds? Do you think the Dutch you would intermittent fast? You were not 30 fast? pounds bigger. Yes, I was. He's fat shaming. And you, <laughs> and you a, a public figure? You yeah, got, you I, got gained, that I gained big? 30 pounds. Vanity was just letting me eat pasta all day. She was just stuffing tortellinis wow. in my face. Wow. So then, now intermittent it, fasting works. Intermittent fasting works. And I feel like the Dutch definitely used to do that. <laughs> Because, well, they all, I mean, intermittent fasting was just a way of life back then, right? You just, you had to catch food. If you, yeah, if you were in between, it's like the wolves or something, right? You, yeah. it's feast or famine. It, it really is like fascinating to think like what life was like. Like literally, I always think about that. That is in essence what you asked, like my motivation or whatever. That's it. This, you know, this Dutch historian has this great expression, our perpetual astonishment that the past was once a living reality. And just to think, you know, to go to, you know, whatever historic place and, and just to think, you know, no, it really was, it was a whole world here that is yeah, a lot like our world, but totally different. But totally, well, it's just different, different, you know, artifacts, different people, different names, but like really... Back then, somebody was doing the modern, their equivalent of a podcast back then. There, people were sitting in a room like this, just doing it their time. Yeah, there was, yeah. there's a guy mad at his wife. There's a kid who doesn't want to go to exactly. school. There, yeah. It's all the same. And in the records, you see all that stuff. And that's right. the challenge of writing a, a, a book out of like, you know, all these records. It's just like, you know, it's, you know, it's just a mass of stuff. It's just like, you know, he stole my pig and he stole my wife. Right. And, you know, people just complain, you know... And it's like, well, what do I do? How do you organize this into a story? So I am a storyteller. I keep, I just sit with it until I find, okay, this is my, you know, here's the protagonist and here they both want something and, and, you know, two people in conflict. If you have two people in conflict, you got a story. And then you just flesh it out around that. Are you worried about uh, how history will change with like AI and stuff? How it'll reshape even writing history? Well, writing, yeah. Everybody who's uh, uh, involved in, you know, you don't have to be writing a term paper. Yeah, you wonder about how that's going to work. Yeah, totally. I I have no idea. I'm not so, I'm not clever enough to. Yeah. Yeah, You never get anxious about like how right now will be perceived historically knowing what you know. Oh, well, I don't I can't, I can't worry about that. I'm, right. I am who I am, you know, take me or leave me. <laughs> Do you think that there's something that we think now, like, like you're, you know, very, very smart guy. What, you know, like, like, like I always think about like how, um, like Lewis and Clark, right? Like they, the, 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 the top thinkers of the day, we're thinking things because they just didn't have access to information yet. We're thinking things that we would think now that like the, the, a person who's not educated at all would be like, why would you think that you fucking idiot? Like, yeah. like Thomas Jefferson in Lewis and Clark, when he sent them out if for the, the Louisiana purchase to, to go look at it, he was like, watch out. There might be dinosaurs out there. 
Like they genuinely <laughs> yeah, thought yeah, that. Yeah, like, yeah. do you ever think about like what that is today? Like sure, he was dead yeah, serious. Yeah. He was the president. He was like, take this knife in case you hit a T-Rex. I swear to God, that's because they didn't know any better. Yeah. So do you think that there's something going on now that like we don't even understand? Like we're going to be so radical in 200 years and it'd be like- People are going to be laughing at us, like, of course. Yeah, dummies. Yeah, you ever yeah. think about what that the is? Way, yeah, well, but yeah, but I mean, the way we do everything, it's in some sense is so archaic. You know, you still have move around like people did 10,000 years ago. You have to, you yeah, know, it's same just, thing, put on clothes. And, yeah. yeah. It's so, um, and just think, you know, the way our buildings are, you know, the, with uh, climate change and all that, you know, we're still living a lot the way people lived a hundred years ago. Yeah. Okay. We can get solar panels or whatever, but you know, right. so in the future, people are going to be saying these people were just destroying themselves and, right. and they'll be right. right. You know, I saw, I saw too, uh, that you did, um, you did an episode uh, last summer with Thomas Tomas Delgado. That's our mm. friend. Yeah, on the yeah. boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's because I was researching the book I'm working on now. So that story, the whole story, the one I'm writing now about the English takeover and making it New York, takes place on the harbor, as I was saying. The English yeah. are sitting right there in the ships. So this, uh, these two guys own this uh, former um, fireboat called the John J. Harvey. Yeah. And they said, well, come out, we'll take you out. So there were, they, we got like 50 of our friends and went out for a day on the harbor and Tom somehow yeah, got saw, wind of it. And he, yeah. So. Yeah, because I saw it was like, I was like, I'm going to be the first comic to bring Russell Shorto into the world of comedy. And then I saw fucking Tomas Delgado <laughs> did it first last year. Yeah, bastard. he was good. We yeah. started comedy together. Is that right? I. Yeah, wow. and he's been growing his hair out ever since. Yeah, they, he was it was pretty long, as I recall. Pretty long, baby. <laughs> yeah. I um yeah. What any any ghost questions? Yeah. Pimp pimp loves ghosts. Love what do you, what do you believe? Uh, do you have do you have any ghost experiences personally? No. No. Do you no. believe in ghosts? Some people some people are anti-ghosts. I, 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 does that mean I'm anti-ghost that I think that's a bunch of bullshit? Well, no, yeah, you don't. You don't. No, you, yeah, you think it's bullshit. That's fine. Yeah. You're gonna get haunted by Stuyvesant tonight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Although I did, I did, I was, I pulled into um, New York. I started looking for parking and I said to my wife, now I was on the phone. I said, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to start praying to the parking gods. And there was a spot right there. So wow. that made, that gave me a little bit of pause. Okay. That's my ghost story. Okay. Yeah. What about ghosts in history? Uh, or I feel like ghosts might have played a role in. What, is it, this is a big theme for you? Every guest, uh, we ask yeah. every guest about ghosts. He's wow. fascinated by it. Okay. I think it's fun. You don't like go you don't like the idea of ghosts. The concept. well, what do you mean by ghosts? A person who used to exist. Yes. And, uh, just a thin. A well, thin what about that notion that why are all ghosts from you know the eighteen eighties or something? What about ghosts? You know, of somebody who died in twenty ten yeah, or something? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm just down for ghosts to exist. Yeah. 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 that you came across that people were really people did. were super religious and i think being religious is kind of like believing in ghosts uh, yeah. uh so in that sense i don't know if they call if they, i don't think they thought about like people haunting them and you know walking around so you can see through them and stuff like that i've never seen that in the records really? <laughs> oh you wrote a book about the revolutionary war too Revolution song. Yeah. I yeah. never read this one yet. Yeah, I'll send it to you. The story of America's founding. Yeah, that what I did is I took six people from different walks of life. Um, the daughter of a British officer, a Native American corn planter who was a Seneca. Um, uh, the Brit the guy the guy who ran the war for England, who's uh, um, George Washington. Right. Uh, a uh, merchant in Albany, New York. Um, and I just I go back and forth telling their stories from basically birth. And I just wanted it to happen. I just said, it was an experiment. I said, what if I pick, you know, because all the stories you get of that period are the guys in the powdered wigs, you know, and then uh, the, yeah. the, so what if, and, and I, one, one is a slave who I follow from Africa to enslavement in Connecticut. And uh, so he, so they all live through the period. Um, and it, their stories just, and I pick people who they intersect a little bit. So just enough that it gives you right. like one, so you feel like you're that, that's following one because, story. Because I like that because, you know, like you said, we always usually learn history from like the Americans' point of view. Right, from, but right. this is a different, this is yeah. a different this version. This is, so when we're with the corn planter, I we're getting it. the Indian point of view. When we're with the British leader, we're totally getting the British point of view, you know. So. Right. Yeah. No, this is a... Uh, this is great. So now when you die, do you want to be buried in Amsterdam, New York? Where do you want us to spread your ashes? Do you want us to put it on a, on a Dutch pancake? What do you want? 
Well, right now we're in uh, Cumberland, Maryland, which is my wife's hometown, and there's this little hill top uh, cemetery from, I don't know, the 19th century or something. Yeah. And my wife and I went up there once, and we kind of laid down, and we held hands, yeah. and we said, what, maybe yeah. this is our spot, you know? <laughs> no, I think when you... <laughs> which we already, I already tried it on for size. <laughs> When you die, I wanna, I'm going to put your ashes in an urn that's a peg leg for Stuyvesant. <laughs> Thanks that's what that. I want you to do. Can I plug my course? Dude, I was just, yes. Okay. So do you have that book? Small time? Is that up? Um, so I wrote this book about my grandfather, the mob, and the reactions I got were mostly people saying, how can I do something like this? I've right. got not, and nobody else was a mob story, but they were just American stories. And I got so many like that that I and I each time I'd say, well, here's how I went about interviewing my relatives and here's how I brought up the uncomfortable thing that nobody talked about. And um, and finally, I just put together an online course called tellyourfamilystory.com. And you could just take it's just videos. You take it through yourself, uh, you take it yourself. And it's like, what do I want to do with it? Do I want to write a book? Do I want to write a film script? Do I want to just put together a scrapbook for my kids? Uh, how do you deal with how do you interview people? How do you interview family? How do you tell a story beginning, middle, and end? Not necessarily in that order. Um, so that's what I did. And, um, and I've gotten a lot of reactions. From tell it. your so family for- Yep. That's it. Do that guys do that. And I want you to record yourselves videos of yourselves doing that and put it at patreon.com slash Christy comedy, who we think tells the best family story. You're going to win a prize here. I'm going to send you guys a t-shirt. So you gotta, you better prove to me that you're telling your family story.com with Mr. Russell Shorto or his grandfather will come back from the grave and fucking kill you. He's <laughs> in the mafia. The fans are, uh, the Powerful fans are ghost. asking... Um, do they have you, any questions for Mr. Shorto? Well, they're asking for you guys to do a Christie's tour around Fidei. Oh, yeah. Would you... Oh, are you coming back cool. to New York at I'm, all the summer? Here, I'm here all the time. I'm here, yeah. I'm here next week. I'm here a couple weeks after that. Yeah. So why don't we... When next, I'm in Florida next week, but why don't we tell them in two, two three weeks, let's do the Christie's tour. Take me around... New Amsterdam. Yeah, I didn't realize we were doing this live. Oh, yeah, it's live. <laughs> well, no, they, well they, this was going to come out on, on YouTube, but we go live at, on oh, our page, cool. uh, Patreon. Cool. Patreon.com slash yeah. Christy Comedy. They're also wanting to know uh, if you believe in aliens. What kind of aliens? Uh, f- not from this planet. <laughs> no, but I guess I, I, I'm keeping an open mind. Okay. <laughs> there it is. Well, should we do FMK? <laughs> Why not? Why not? Let's do FMK. <laughs> F, you know what FMK is? No. Okay. So <laughs> FMK is, you have to, you, I'm oh, going to give you three the, people. Yeah, Marry yeah, one, yeah. kill one, yeah, and F yeah. one. Uh, so FMK, Peter Stuyvesant, the Lenape. Peter Stuyvesant, the Lenape, the Lenape, and, um, and, uh, and, and, yeah, and, and Thomas Jefferson. Oh. F, uh, I guess, the, the Lenape in general? Yeah, just the Lenape. <laughs> um, uh, okay, F, uh, I'll, I'll say, I guess I'll say Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> F, Thomas Jefferson? Oh, my God. <laughs> You're giving me very limited choices here. F and Thomas Jefferson. Then they're going to uh, go look for dinosaurs. M, uh, uh, the Lenape. You're gonna M the Lenape. Yeah. All right, that's nice. You get yeah. Well, you you might you can if you M the Lenape. If you marry the Lenape, yeah. you might fuck because you, all your research, you might be able to be like, hey, don't sell Manhattan. Don't sell oh, Manhattan. We're going back. Yeah, yeah, get it back, we're dude. Back. We're gonna fuck. But it we're going back in time. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then and then you're gonna and then you're gonna kill Stuyvesant, but then you'd have nothing to write about. Well, <laughs> but I've already written it. Oh, wow. That's what it is. Uh-huh. This I is, would. I this would is say metaphysical. I would M the Lenape as well because they look most closely to the Puerto Ricans. So I'd M them. I would actually kill Thomas Jefferson. Um, I'd kill Thomas Jefferson. He's my least favorite founding father, and I would F the shit out of Peter <laughs> Stuyvesant because I've only I've always wanted to F somebody with a peg leg. <laughs> this has been Chrissy Chaos. Russell Shorto, everybody. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.